Okay, ButcherBox, you guys have heard me talk about them before. They're a product, a service that I used even before they were sponsors of ours because I really value you know, high-quality meat and seafood that I trust. We are talking 100% grass-fed beef, free-range organic chicken, pork-raised crate-free, and wild-caught seafood. All of it delivered conveniently right to your door. You don't have to run around four or five different grocery stores and fancy butchers to get high-quality stuff. And it's cheaper than all those places, and it's easier. It's going to save you time. It's going to save you money. It's just super convenient. Sign up for ButcherBox today by going to butcherbox.com underworld and use code underworld at checkout and enjoy your choice of bone-in chicken thighs, top sirloins, or salmon in every box for an entire year. Plus, you get $20 off. Again, that's butcherbox.com underworld and use code underworld. Have you ever wondered why we call French fries French fries? Or why something is the greatest thing since sliced bread? There are answers to those questions. Everything Everywhere Daily is a podcast for curious people who want to learn more about the world around them. Every day, you'll learn something new about things you never knew you didn't know. Subjects include history, science, geography, mathematics, and culture. If you're a curious person and want to learn more about the world you live in, just subscribe to Everything Everywhere Daily wherever you cast your pod. February 18, 2001. Famed Russian reporter Anna Politkovskaya travels on assignment to the Caucasian Republic of Chechnya. It's two years into Moscow's second war to subdue the embattled state, and Politkovskaya, who works for the Crusade in Novaya Gazeta, has been getting tip-offs about Russian war crimes, bodies in mass graves, torture, civilians starving and freezing to death, brutal, punitive raids, on defenseless villages. The kind of information you need to verify in person. Politkovskia doesn't wait long to learn of the horrors. People thrown into shallow pits, defecating and growing sick and being tortured with electrical wire and planks. Prisoners missing fingernails and others dead from days in a flooded hole the Russians call the bathtub. Sexual abuse. A junior officer tells Politkovskia the Chechen women have, quote, nice butts telling interned Chechen men that they're being punished because, quote, your women wouldn't let us. Well, I won't complete the quote. It's getting worse than grim on the front. It's horrifying. I heard dozens of harrowing accounts from people who had been exposed to torture and maltreatment by Russian troops. Stories so horrific that one's hand refused to jot them down, writes Politkovskia in The Guardian. And then, she adds, I myself was the victim. Minutes after leaving an officer who expresses his regret over the abuses, she's detained and held in a rutted field. Soldiers arrive, accuse her of being a Chechen rebel herself. Young officers say they're getting their orders directly from Vladimir Putin himself. They made it clear to me that freedom was over, she writes. From time to time, Politkovskia adds, the zealous young officers were joined by a senior officer, a lieutenant colonel with a swarthy face, and dark, stupid, bulging eyes. Every now and then, he sent the youngsters out of the tent, switched on what he thought to be romantic music, and hinted that if I behaved right, I could count on a, quote, favorable outcome. After three hours, Politkovskia is marched outside to be shot, a cruel mock execution. Then she's held in a bunker for days. You're one of the bandits, an FSB officer tells her. If you worked for us, you would get everything but you came here to look at the pits. 
you're a bitch. She's released soon after. Far from cowing her, the experience galvanizes Politkovsky's energy against the Russian presidency, Putin, and, as vanquished Chechnyan leaders give way to terror, guerrilla warfare, and, in its capital Grozny, the Kremlin-backed Kadyrov family. On October 5th, 2006, Politkovsky once again gets on a plane to the Caucasus to meet Ramzan Kadyrov, son of slain dictator Ahmad Kadyrov, in the Kadyrov family's home village of Tenseroy. It's the younger Kadyrov's 30th birthday, and he's already been groomed for his state's leadership by his father and Putin. But Politkovsky doesn't pull her punches. Tenseroy is, she writes, one of the unsightliest of Chechen villages, unfriendly, ugly, and swarming with murderous-looking armed men. Politkovsky calls the young tracksuit-wearing despot-in-waiting a, quote, Stalin of our times, a moniker sure to sting given the Stalinist purges that have, in part, created Chechnya's modern mafia state. It's an old story, she writes, repeated many times in our history. The Kremlin fosters a baby dragon which it then has to keep feeding to stop him from setting everything on fire. Kadyrov bites back. Politkovsky, he says, is a quote, enemy of the Chechen people. She should have to answer for this. He too understands the language of Soviet era brutality. Weeks later, Politkovsky is riding the elevator of her Moscow apartment when a gunman shoots her four times, once in the head, with a Soviet era Makarov pistol. The significance of the date is lost on few of the thousands who march through Moscow protesting Politkovsky's murder. It is Vladimir Putin's birthday. Welcome to the Underworld Podcast. Hey guys, and welcome to the show whose co-host putting the hard yards to write shows, even if it's a public holiday and 80 degrees outside, or maybe I'm just projecting. I'm your host in Wellington, population 212,000 people in New Zealand, Sean Williams, and I'm joined by Danny Gold in New York City, population 8.5 million, which is more interesting. I'm writing this before the Rugby World Cup final, so go the All Blacks, I guess. Uh, but it was very, very fun to see England getting beat in both rugby and cricket within 12 hours this weekend. Uh, and I just published a feature about Chinese pensions, which I'm not sure um, how that is better or worse. But uh, <laughs> anyway, how are you doing? I mean, you're just you're cheering against England in, in cricket and rugby. It's just, uh, <laughs> I don't know, yeah. couldn't couldn't be me, man. Your your hate for the homeland. But uh, how am I doing? I mean, I'm here. You know, I'm recording with you, and there's nowhere else I'd rather be on a beautiful fall afternoon. Well, that's, uh, let's bring that energy to this episode. Eh? <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, we got a cool thing I did up in Auckland on the Patreon for subscribers. Thanks, guys, for being there. Um, I went up to interview this guy about his life in music, weed and cocaine transshipment prison and his pretty weird relationship with his brother who died recently. It's a nutty story. I've been meaning to like write it down for, for years, but um, I really want to go back to it and you'll get a really good taste of it if you've got the Patreon uh, but if you can't afford that, or if you don't just fancy it, in which case, right, then we've got a bunch of stuff on Instagram, YouTube. If you like and subscribe, you'll be doing us all a favor here. Speaking of Patreon, I reckon if we get another, what, like 20 or 30 subscribers between now and the end of next month, I'm uh, I'm off to Papua New Guinea on assignment. And um, I'll spend a week, or, I'll spend a day or two trying to 
meet armed rascal gangs in Port Moresby if you guys subscribe. So uh, everyone has been absolutely trying to convince me not to do that. So I'll leave it down to you guys. Yeah, basically everyone has told Sean, if you guys don't know about the rascal gangs, I think we did an episode on them, but they're also yeah. uh, exceedingly violent. And everyone has told Sean that if he does this, he will 100% get robbed. So I'm, of course, encouraging him. But all of your new Patreon money and iTunes subscribers that you guys join up, your money's going to go to replacing uh, everything that Sean loses. So it's going, it's going to yeah, a good thankfully cause. I just got rid of that 100 mil that I had him sitting around in my pocket. So... <laughs> Yeah, I don't really have anything worth stealing. But uh, yeah, I'll do that. I'll go and meet some guy with a homemade gun if you guys sign up to the Patreon. Anyway, so I think it's a month after, or a month or six weeks after the second episode of this Chechen trilogy, and finally we get to the conclusion. And of course, everyone's favourite, pot-bellied, bushy-bearded religious zealot, gold machine gun-wielding, IG influencer, and all-round murderous psychopath, Ramzan Kadyrov. I guess if there was ever an arch nemesis to our show's tagline, don't Instagram me crimes, it's this boy. And I'm not going to get too deep into Kadarov's account in this show because it's about as well-trodden ground as the five families. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't head over to our own brilliant account on Instagram or, of course, Twitter, where both of us are defending the world against hordes of dummies on a daily basis, except only one of us actually has any followers. I would actually never advise people to go on Twitter, even if it's yeah. to follow us. And even Instagram now, right? Which used to be like my happy place, just full of like food and bikini pics and, and you know, boots I wanted to buy. But now it's just overtaken by, by activists. And I think, you know, I might just have to like get on Pinterest or something because I'm just, I, I, I can't do it anymore. Yeah, I was really up for seeing like pizza places around my neighborhood, but now I'm getting feeds of weird villages in New Zealand trying to show solidarity to Palestine. So... Yeah, keep going, guys. Anyway, first of all, if you haven't listened to our previous two shows on Chechen crime, you might be wondering what's going on a lot in this one. So if that's the case, stop, go back, listen to them, and then just keep everything else on play so we get more money. But by way of a short catch-up, before we get to Kadarov and Politkovsky's killing and political assassinations, drug wars, and of course, MMA, I'm going to take you all the way back to 1954 in the mountainous terrains of the northern Kyrgyz Soviet Socialist Republic. Because that is where and when a hugely influential Chechen gangster by the name of Koz Ahmed Nukayev, I hope I've got that right, or Koja to his pals, is born. I didn't get to into his life in the previous show, but Koja might be the most influential Chechen gang leader of all time. And he is a conduit between the Soviet thieves-in-law and the Chechen mafia that came to dominate in the late 80s and the Chechen independence movement, wars and terror attacks that characterised the Republic later on. Again, if you don't know about that stuff, go back to part two, where we get into that in a pretty deep way. So Koja is born in the Chui region of the, Kyrgy uh, the Kyrgyz, I'm going to get all these names wrong, SSR, now the independent nation, of course, of Kyrgyzstan. It's the northernmost province and home to the capital, Bishkek, and Koja grows up there as one of the hundreds of thousands of Chechens exiled by Stalin's purges during the war, what's commonly known as Operation Lentil. That's a, just a terrible name. Like, aren't these things supposed to be named, Isn't it? I don't know, Operation Falcon, Tiger, Eagle, Sword and shit like that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, lentils are so nice. They go into such great curries. And now I've forever got the idea of Stalin murdering hundreds of thousands of Chechens in my head. But uh, I don't know, man. Social media's got my mind on that, so I'm sure I'll just be thinking of dogs and cats in a minute. But anyway, he moves to Moscow in 1971 as Koja, and he studies law at Moscow State University, 
one of the greatest buildings in the world. And it's there that he has an epiphany as he tells the Dutch filmmakers Jost de Putter in the very, very good 1999 documentary, The Making of an Empire, quote, My eyes were opened. When I saw the true face of Soviet reality, my worldview was turned upside down. That's when I became a rebel. I saw that if you have a communist government mafia and you want to fight it, then you need a structure like them. We had to collect money and create a battalion of Chechens in Moscow. That is how we started. I guess there's a lot of like references to some of the stuff you've done as well, right? With the Brighton Beach Mafia. It's like yeah. guys coming out of communism and, and, and making this crazy life of crime. But Koshit doesn't really have the sort of enigma of some of those other guys. Doesn't have the oratory style. But he's definitely dead-eyed and he definitely knows his way around a pistol. And this structure he creates, this is what's called Obshina. It's a Russian network of Chechens committed loosely to the liberation of their homeland. But it's also kind of a mafia and it becomes known as one. And the foundation for the modern Chechen mafia we've mentioned in episodes one and two. By the late 80s, these gangsters' plans to push out the other major clans of the Russian mafia largely succeeds. And they turn their focus back on Chechnya itself. Again, as we've gotten into in the previous shows, forging ever closer ties between organized crime and the Chechen political and military resistance to Russian occupation. According to a review of the movie, the Russians, not surprisingly, regard Nukiev as a criminal, whereas most of the Chechens consider him a hero. Uh, okay, wait for it, drumroll, guys. Modern day Robin Hood. <laughs> Honestly, didn't know that story had traveled all the way to Grozny, but the RH Vortex knows no borders. Yeah, I mean, it's really something, right? It's up there with the idea of like, Gangsters getting involved in in real estate, like as real estate investors, it's just everywhere. Yeah, <laughs> I think we could probably do a modern day Robin Hood T-shirt. It's pretty good. If you remember, in our previous two shows, we get into the local concept of the abrek, which is similar to a Robin Hood, I guess. Maybe like a basically a noble rebel, a scoundrel, a criminal. Well, Chechens know Koja as something a little different. It's called, and I'm going to completely ruin this phrase. My Chechens well rusty. A jigate. A traditional godfather-like character who looks after the village and vanquishes enemies. As one guy in the film says, quote, good boys. I might be wrong, but this word appears to come from the Caucasian term jigit, which describes a skilled horseman or a brave person generally, basically coming from Turkic languages and you'd think related to the famous Mongolian equestrians who took over half the planet. Um, anyway, you're all for etymology on this show, I know that. People like this guy in the movie, they are backing Koja. That's what you need to know anyway. <laughs> and as communism begins to crumble, he's sitting pretty, he's very rich, and he's getting deep into the Chechen armed struggle against Russia. In 1991, however, authorities arrest all of the main leaders of the Chechen mob in Moscow, including him. Now, upon the outbreak of the Second Chechen War, that's in 1999, Koja moves around the Turkic Caucasus from Baku out to Istanbul, and he gets more and more into hardline Islamism that's turned a generation of Chechen guerrillas into Al-Qaeda-backed child killers. See again the second episode and the harrowing accounts from the 2004 school siege in Beslan. Amid all this, Koja allegedly sneaks back into Chechnya from abroad, but he's allegedly surrounded in the Dagestani mountains with other allies, and they wind up dead even though Koja's own body is never recovered. Still to this day, he's known as the godfather of the Chechen mafia and somebody whose life was bound up in this symbiosis between rebelhood and criminality. In 2003, 
With the Chechen leadership dead or in disarray, Ahmad Kadyrov turns coat and becomes its Kremlin-backed leader, crushing opposition and supporting the inclusion of Chechnya into the Russian Federation with massive kickbacks from Daddy Putin and the protection of Russian agents. Of course, that doesn't endear him to the thousands who've been fighting a years-long dirty war for independence, and the following year, Kadyrov is killed by a bomb blast at a Grozny stadium while he's watching soldiers on parade. It's later that very same day that Ramzan Kadyrov, aged as 27, whose interests include boxing, weightlifting, and just generally beating people up as a leader of his father's personal militia, is summoned to meet with Putin. I'll let Josh Yaffa, recently on the show a few weeks back, will you, Danny, take it from here in his 2016 New Yorker feature called Putin's Dragon. Quote, In the meeting with Putin, which was televised nationally, Kadyrov's blue nylon tracksuit set him apart amid the Kremlin's pompous formality. Alexei Chesnikov, who worked in Putin's administration at the time, said that a bond seemed to form between the two men that night. Quote, Putin thought of Kadyrov, the father, as a person with whom he reached a particular political agreement. Their relations were honest and businesslike, but ultimately political, Chesnikov said. But he relates to the son with a certain warmth. Overwhelmed by investing? If you're anything like us, the hardest part is getting started. That's why we created the Investing for Beginners podcast. Our goal is to help simplify money so it can work for you. We invite guests to demystify investing. At least try to be setting aside like the minimum 10% into the 401k. We'll teach you the basics of the market. Yeah, I think compound interest should be at the start of any discussion about investing. And We've had investment professionals who teach in a simple way. A valuation-driven bear market. You know, we, we haven't really seen yet, and I think everyone's thinking about it, but we haven't really seen yet. Our Q&A episodes feature questions from listeners just like you. So what do you think about the situation with ETBI, which is Activision? I'm Dave Ahern. And I'm Andrew Sather. And we hope you join us on the Investing for Beginners podcast. On the Investing for Beginners podcast. Every town has a dark side. This is Andrew Fitzgerald from the Every Town podcast, where every single week we dive into insane and mysterious true crime stories, most of which you've never heard of. Stories like the bizarre disappearance of Tyler Davis in Columbus, Ohio. A 29-year-old father trying to find his way back to his hotel when he disappeared and was never heard from again. And Elizabeth Shove from Lugoff, South Carolina, who was abducted from her driveway by a madman and taken to his underground bunker in the woods. And we give you all the details you're interested in hearing about without any fluff or fillers, because ain't nobody got time for that. We cover everything from psychopaths to poltergeists, so go check out the Everytown podcast, because every town. No matter how nice it may seem, has a dark side. With Putin's blessing, Kadyrov claimed the throne that had been granted to his father. No wonder then that when Kadyrov does assume his father's title in 2007, he's already accustomed to taking whichever law exists in Chechnya into his own hands. And Chechens, once kings of the Russian underworld, get a rep as hired muscle and contract killers. In 2004, for example, Paul Klevnikov a New York-born Russian editor of Forbes magazine, who we quoted in the last show about his work on Boris Berezovsky, he's gunned down in Moscow walking between his home and his office. he just published a less-than-flattering book about none other than Kozhe himself, and everybody points the fingers at his and Kadyrov's goons, 
but nobody's sentenced. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. Like, I, obviously, uh, Katarov can do whatever he wants in Chechnya, but having impunity, like, all over Russia, right, in Moscow, I, I wonder if Putin ever kind of pushes back about stuff like that. Obviously, quietly, that's done so openly, and it kind of makes him look weak, or whether he just doesn't care about these people getting gunned down or whatever headlines can come out of it. I think it helps him. I think it helps Putin a lot because, I mean, as, as we'll see with, with other sort of political assassinations, the idea that there's this kind of almost orc-like group of people who can just take you out any, any minute and they've got the backing of Putin, that kind of keeps this, installs this fear, basically, in the Russian people. Um, and it goes all the way up to today in Ukraine. But we'll get into that too. So the idea that he's impugned kind of helps everyone. Uh, it's pretty dark. Anyway, soon after this killing, Politkovsky, of course, she is shot dead in the Russian capital too. Ten people are arrested, and Russia's chief prosecutor blames a Chechen mafia boss and rogue security officials. And the assassinations continue. In 2009, Kadarov's former bodyguard, whose alleged torture at the hands of his former boss, is shot dead in Vienna. Yeah, I mean, I assume you'll probably get to this because I think it happens a lot, right? But even now, there's like Chechen dissidents dodging assassins all over Europe. I don't remember exactly. Oh, yeah. I, maybe it was Scandinavia or the Baltics, but that video, that guy a few years back who got his Chechen dissident, he got attacked and he turned the tables and like beat his attacker with a hammer. Do you know what I'm talking oh, about? Wow. I didn't come across that one. No. Yeah. No. I was, I, I, I was pitching a story out. a while ago about just, um, yeah, about finding all these Chechen. I, I had a connection with these Chechen dissidents in Europe who were like essentially dodging assassins at like every corner. But uh, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's, it's wild. Anyway, sorry, go ahead. No, no, good. I mean, I had a similar thing. I, I, I think I'm going to mention that further down the show as well. But I mean, it's pretty nuts. Like that same year, a Chechen opposition politician is killed all the way in Dubai. I guess there are no laws in Dubai. Half a dozen prominent Chechens are shot dead in Turkey, where compatriot gangsters become increasingly active. In 2015, Chechens murdered Boris Nemtsov, a vocal critic of Vladimir Putin, on a bridge opposite the Kremlin. I mean, that is nuts. And in August 2019, a former Chechen rebel named Zelim Khan Kangoshvili, love the Georgian names, he's walking from his home through Berlin's Tiergarten Park to a mosque when a man approaches him and shoots him twice in the head before discarding a wig and running along one of the city's canals. A Russian named Vadim Krasikov is jailed for life and Germany expels two Russian diplomats over the death. Prosecutor Lars Malikis tells the court that Vadim, quote, liquidated a political opponent as an act of retaliation. So that's kind of turning the tables a bit. There's a Russian, I think he was an FSB agent, essentially, doing the job, or a GRU agent, doing the job for the Chechens yeah. on behalf of Kadyrov. So they're kind of working hand in glove. Now, more recently, Chechen killers have been active on the battlefields of Ukraine, with Kadyrov desperate to show his loyalty there to Vladimir Putin. In fact, until the recent killing of Yevgeny Prigozhin, which you got into with Josh, I think, what, two or three weeks ago, that was a great show, um, there's been a rivalry between Chechens under Kadyrov and Prigozhin's Wagner military group, or mercenary group, rather. Last year, the Russian gangster Grisha Moskovsky warned that two new gangs were forming in the country, and it could prove disastrous to the Kremlin, which, well, he wasn't kind of wrong. Quote, now two gangs are forming in Russia. Two gangs. One gang is the Wagners, and the other gang is Kadyrov's. Now there is a change of power in Russia. Who is a scoundrel, and who will come to power? You know, by all accounts I've seen, the Chechens have sort of lost their mystique, I think, as, at least as war fighters, right? Then Ukrainians and their supporters... They all call them TikTok fighters because they film themselves like 
recklessly shooting machine guns or yeah. firing grenades at apartment blocks without anyone there. And it just kind of looks like they're not actually getting anything done. And I don't know. I've heard theories that like, you know, Kadarov has taken them from these sort of proud guerrilla fighters into just these guys who haven't been tested in, in a long time and might've kind of forgotten the, uh, the hard scrabble origin stories of, of what they've done. Yeah, for sure. I think that there's definitely a lot of truth in that. Like IG fake it till you make it doesn't really work when you're in like back mud or something. Yeah. But yeah, I think that everything has basically coalesced around Kadarov and it's become a little, I guess, lazier in terms of sort of organized military stuff. But there's this long, long track record of hits. So we, we're going on to like contract killings now, carried out by Chechen gangsters who it's alleged are working on the orders of Ramzan Kadarov himself, of course. But who is Kadarov the man? Well, as you may have guessed, I mean, I can't do maths, but... He's born in 1976. He's a former anti-Russian rebel, of course, before his dad's change of heart. He becomes de facto leader of Chechnya in 2005, and he takes over proper in 2007. And very quickly, of course, he cozies up to Putin even more than his father, which is useful on more than one front. By the middle of the 2010s, for example, the Kremlin is backing Kadyrov's dictatorship to the tune of $1.6 billion a year as gas subsidies, the lot, same stuff you get in Transnistria, essentially. So according to a New York Times piece from 2016, quote, Moscow is propping up its most chintzy regional leaders' habits at a huge cost to the taxpayer. So in addition to getting on his knees and kissing Putin's shoes, Kadyrov has to at least show he's trying to earn money beyond Instagram ads. Even Kadyrov himself has admitted that his state wouldn't survive without Moscow's largesse. <laughs> And Ramzan does this not only via brutality, which we'll return to soon, but by promoting a so-called path of Ahmad. This is a kind of Duce-style personality cult where Kadyrov Sr. is portrayed absolutely everywhere as a saviour not just of Chechnya, but of Russian unity. Ramzan goes in hard on promoting this neo-Chechen vision through culture, media and sport, writes OC Media, quote, on visiting any museum or cultural centre in Chechnya, the visitor is greeted by the quote, without culture, there is no nation. This reminds the visitor that Ahmad Kadyrov considered, quote, the main factor in the successful revival of the Republic to be raising the level of culture, as declared in the Republic's official histories. The most famous example of this, of course, is an intense programme of sports washing. Continues the OC article, quote, whether rubbing shoulders with athletes or sending his sons out into the ring, head of Chechnya Ramzan Kadyrov uses training and competitive sports to bolster his public image, construct a national identity that suits his aims, and secure the future of his regime. Now to do this, Kadyrov has something called the Ahmad Kadyrov Regional Public Fund, a state charity that's essentially his own slush fund, and it helps him not only to build lavish complexes like Grozny's gigantic Ottoman-style mosque, but also to stage elaborate glossy PR events, such as football matches, MMA tournaments, or just birthday parties and other luxury events, which the likes of Mike Tyson, Jean-Claude Van Damme, and weirdly Hilary Swank, I guess she played a boxer once, right, have all attended. Public sector workers are expected to donate 10% of their earnings to the fund, which of course isn't taxed, and it's rumoured to bring the dictator between 50 and $70 million a year. And I think I got that figure from like 10 years ago as well, so it's probably a lot, lot more in today's cash. 
Kadarov has helped put the local Russian Premier League football team Telek Grozny on the map, handing it a 30,000-seater stadium, elite players like Brazilian national Everton, Czech star Martin Jelanek, and a couple of Kadarov's nephews, one of whom only played a single game, of course. Such a promising career cut tragically short. Most notably, the side gets Dutch legend Ruud Hullet to manage, although he lasts less than a year. That was in 2011. Oh, and in 2017, the team is renamed... Yep, FC Ahmad Grozny, still playing in the top league. Kadarov hasn't been busy sports washing anywhere more than MMA, however, where he's groomed some of the best fighters in UFC, and he's even created his own promotion, Absolute Championship Ahmad, <laughs> of course, which this year has announced plans to hold Grand Prix tournaments across a whole bunch of weight divisions with a total prize fund of 10 million bucks. That's not nothing. And for Patreon subscribers... I spoke to the brilliant Karim Zidane of Bloody Elbow magazine. I think it was back at the start of this year about MMA's queasy relationship with Kadarov's uh, regime. So go and check that out because Karim is 100% the world's expert on this stuff. But the speed with which Chechnya has churned out champion fighters and the breadth of Kadarov's influence within the sport is pretty crazy. For his own gym called, yep, Akhmad Fight Club, Kadarov has developed the likes of Magomed Ankalaev, Abdul Karim Edilov, Albert Durayev, Adlan Ad- Amagov, Zubayeta Tukukov, so Isval Nawadiev, and Magomed Bibilatov. I oh mean, that was God. just like, <laughs> like your your pronunciation sick. skills. I mean, you could have gotten those all wrong, but it sounds <laughs> it sounds right to me, and your confidence is is admirable. Seriously. Oh my God. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> anyway, among the fighters to visit Kadarov, on the other hand. Here we go again. Former champions Khabib Nurmagomedov, Kamaru Usman, Chris Wildman, Henry Cejudo, and Fabrizio Verdum. Of course, Fabrizio. He's one of the biggest celebrities in the game, is Kadarov, which doesn't say a lot for it. Yeah, you know, we got to give some respect right now to the, the OG Brian Gumbel, who, uh, have you ever seen that, that real sports PC for HBO a couple of years ago? Where he... No, no. I, I don't... I mean, I assume... That's how they got uh, Kadarov uh, to sit down for an interview, but they pretended they were doing one about his support for MMA and like the growth of MMA. I'm not sure if they, right. it was exactly that, but that's kind of how they got their way to get him to sit down with them in Chechnya. And then Gumbel started asking questions about like repression of of like you know LGBT, of gays being <laughs> tortured and killed. Like it was ballsy, man. That is, and started asking, and, and Kadarov just like froze. Like he did, he didn't understand what was going on and like had no response. He was like asking his like handler, like, what is this guy asking me about? Uh, but it was, I mean, it is a ballsy piece of journalism right there. Wow. I saw a piece um, for the BBC that was done a few years ago by uh, Steve Rosenberg, of course, like brilliant reporter. And honestly, Kadarov is terrifying. When he like gets his teeth into an interview, he's really, really fucking scary. Not to Brian Gumble. Not to Brian Gumble. Uh, <laughs> Brian Gumble doesn't scare easily. No, man. Wow. Yeah, kudos. Anyway, of course, Kadarov. He loves little more than to post videos of him boxing and fighting in Grozny himself, including with Mike Tyson. Writes Bloody Elbow, quote, in sharing videos and images of himself training, Kadarov is pursuing two main aims, nation building by encouraging Chechen men to aspire to the ideal of virility that he wants to represent and nation branding and sports washing by projecting an image of a man in good health, strong and close to his people and so offering an alternative image of Kadarov to the West, which I guess 
makes sense, but uh, they did, they weren't exactly known as sort of international pussies beforehand. Anyway, part of this has been to cement a sort of Miami aesthetic conservative Islam parading around in pimped out G-wagons and sports cars in Chechnya, Dubai, keeping big cats. Check out our show about that from the summer if you haven't already. While lauding so-called traditional family values, subjugating women and banning alcohol. Did you coin... Yeah, yeah, I think I did, actually. Um, Kadarov himself is a Sufi, which, if you know anything about religion, um, doesn't lend itself to conservatism. Anyway, he claims his 15-year-old son, Adam, is Chechnya's youngest Hafiz. That is somebody who's memorized and recited the entire Quran from cover to cover, something that takes most people years or even decades to perfect. I'm not saying he didn't do it, just saying he didn't do it. Last September, Adam Kadarov was filmed beating up an activist who is claimed had burned the Quran. Quote, he beat him and he did the right thing, said Kadarov, elder. Without exaggeration, yes, I am proud of Adam's actions, he said, adding that he respected the boy for acquiring, quote, adult ideals of honour, dignity and defence of his religion. That's uh, beating the shit out of someone, in case you didn't know. A 2007 edict bans women from entering state buildings without a head covering, and Kadarov has continually tabled a local version of Sharia law, which Moscow, despite its fair share of religious wingnuts in power, has batted back, citing secularism. I mean, if you go back to our first episode, Moscow is absolutely terrified of Islam, basically everywhere, especially the Caucasian region. That hasn't stopped Kadarov carrying out a pogrom of LGBT Chechens which began in 2017 and continued in ways through 2018 and 2019. I read a particularly harrowing account in Time magazine from Armin Jabrilov in 2017, who snatched from the Grozny salon where he works, handcuffed and thrown into the back of a paddy wagon. Then these goons take his phone and scour through photos and contacts, threatening to out him to his family all the way. This is Chris Christensen from the Amateur Traveler podcast. The Amateur Traveler podcast is about the love of travel. It's about where to go and why you should go there. We're going to open up to you different destinations you haven't heard of or places you have heard of, but things you didn't know to do while you were there. Each episode is about 45 minutes long, and it's typically an interview with someone who wrote the guidebook on that destination or who has been there or who's a local tour guide or someone who is an expert on that destination and knows how to tell you what to do to get the most out of your precious vacation time. So if you value your vacation time and you want to use it wisely, listen to Amateur Traveler and learn about destinations both domestic and international, places you've heard of and places you haven't. Amateur Traveler has almost 900 episodes talking about different destinations. So if there's a place you want to go, odds are we've already covered it and can help you plan a trip there. Amateur Traveler, subscribe today. Let's face it, money is the one subject we all need to deal with, but no one actually wants to talk about. The good news is there's a podcast helping you learn everything about money no one taught you. Meet Everyone's Talking Money, hosted by me, Shauna Game. Everyone's Talking Money focuses on relevant, inclusive, and forward-thinking conversations around money and just helps you get in a better relationship with your money no matter what your goals are. Do yourself a favor and subscribe to Everyone's Talking Money podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. As the Time journalist, quote, 
Shabrilov says the violence escalated when he refuses to name other gay men. The men took out a black box that Shabrilov presumed was a lie detector, but that turned out to be a machine that delivered electric shocks. They attached wires to his fingers and put water on his body to help the current travel more effectively. Quote, it's so painful, you're just screaming. That's all you could do, he says. Eventually, one of the men pulled out a gun, put it into Zhabilov's mouth and threatened to kill him if he didn't give up names. At this moment, I myself died, he says. Now, this pogrom affects dozens, if not hundreds, of mostly men, and it's forced many into exile across Europe. Quite a few escaped to Berlin at the time, I remember, uh, which, I, if I'm being a tiny bit conspiratorial, I think plays into some of the other Chechen organised crime we're going to discuss in that country soon. But to close out this Chechen Juche cult of personality thing, Kadyrov has also turned attentions on film and TV. And the results have been, shall we say, a little less successful than grooming MMA fighters. Here's the Moscow Times back in 2015. Quote, Ramzan Kadyrov, the feared head of Russia's Republic of Chechnya, decided to make a movie. In Chechnya, that might seem like a far-fetched idea. Then, the Republic only had two movie theatres for a population of 1.4 million. There is no local filmmaking tradition whatsoever. So Kadyrov turned to Bezlan Terekbaev. Soon, Terekbaev's Chechen Film Studio, that's Chechen Film, one word like a crappy startup name, had produced Whoever Doesn't Understand Will Get It, an action movie starring the Chechen strongman himself. Now I've watched the 33 second trailer and you all should too, it's on the reading list. Dale, can you rip the music and play it here? It's awesome, it's on YouTube. Kadyrov flanked by a bunch of tacticals in the mountains, firing a host of long range weapons. He's jogging very, very slowly, like late <laughs> stage to goal, like really late stage to goal. Essential viewing, five stars, no notes whatsoever. It's awesome. Here's the Moscow Times again, quote, the film has never been released publicly. That is a tragedy. <laughs> But Kadarov did publish a few clips to his famous Instagram account. One shows him surrounded by military vehicles firing a machine gun into the air. Another depicts him meeting an actress dressed as Great Britain's Queen Elizabeth II. We got to get that tape, man. We got to watch the whole thing. Yeah, like everyone was focused on the P tape, but no one ever speaks <laughs> about the Kadarov tape. We need it. We need it. Anyway, it continues, quote, Chechen film would like to expand well beyond the North Caucasus. Quote, our plan is to seize the world through cinema, said Terek Bayev. Okay. We're building our turnover and growing our muscles. <laughs> In five years, the whole world will know Chechen film. It will be releasing more films than any other Russian film studio. So I think uh, 2021 came and went. And uh, I don't know about you, but I've not really heard of any more Chechen film movies. So as you can guess, Grozny Wood never really materialized. Grozny Wood. Yeah, that's also one of mine. I, I need to, I need to, like, TM this stuff. Anyway, in 2016, the year after this, Kadoff tries his hand at telly. And this actually goes a bit better. Here's the New York Times to introduce what must be one of the maddest TV shows of recent times. Quote, Borrowing from Donald J. Trump's playbook, Mr. Kadoff, the leader of Chechnya, is starring this fall in a reality TV competition called, quote, The Team. In a format that echoes The Apprentice, the show that enhanced Mr. Trump's fame, Mr. Kadyrov is winnowing a group of 16 telegenic young Russians down to one who will become his assistant. Yeah, it's like, you know, the reality TV show thing, stabbing someone in the back, except you literally stab them in the back, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Gotta be great to watch. 
Oh, I mean, like photocopying, like taking calls and shooting distance <laughs> out the back. It's pretty nuts. Anyway, Kadarov addresses the show and can't help sounding like a total psychopath doing so. Quote, people believe my image that was created by the liberals, that I am frightening, that I will kill whoever says anything about me, that I will put them in a dungeon and stab them, Mr. Kadarov says, steering his sports utility vehicle for a breathtaking landscape of jagged peaks. That's good journalism. <laughs> anyway, this continues. That was invented by enemies of the people, enemies of our state, who know that as long as I am in the Caucasus, the Western European special services will not manage to change the situation here, he says. That is why they want to make the Russian people have a bad attitude towards me. They want to make an enemy of the people out of me. On the contrary, people run to me. They hug me. I mean, I guess if you're stabbing their relatives in a dungeon, they probably would run and hug you yeah, as quick as possible. Anyway, the show's name is Commander. And I can't find the winner anywhere, so uh, I, I really need you guys to kick into gear and let me know. Says the blurb, quote, You will see how Chechen women lay out a table and how they observe traditions here. Contestants will have to prove every day and every hour that they can fulfill assigned tasks on time and accurately, be ready to work 24 hours a day, overcome any obstacles and bring to life the most interesting products along with the team of the head of the republic sorry that quote was terrible anyway basically sounds like a kind of alabama the real world definitely would watch dude it sounds fucking terrifying like <laughs> i mean i bet if you if you got the mystery science there 3000 sort of gave it that element it could make great dark comedy but it sounds terrifying yeah it really really does i mean like those quotes by him he is some cold motherfucker Okay, so his PR is, to quote the brilliant Gennaro Gattuso, sometimes maybe good, sometimes maybe shit. But something he definitely is good at is using Chechnya's reputation as a feared, abrek-filled republic of noble gangsters and drug lords to good effect. Remember Koja, who topped up the underworld charts in the late 1980s Moscow? As you know from the previous two shows on Chechnya, the Chechen mafia morphs and melds with the independence movement. And while Kadarov seems to have leveraged it into his own personal militia, repressive regime, hitmen, and battalion of nutcases he sent to Ukraine, Syria, and elsewhere, he's also calcified the power of the mob. This is according to a paper called Traditional Justice Prospects for Chechnya, but I guess they're not too good. Quote, Ramzan Kadarov must balance the desires of Moscow with those of powerful local backers. He has managed to continue a system of patronage established by his father, where illegal activity is tolerated provided the government can filter a percentage of the profits and the total level does not exceed what is tolerable to Moscow. In other words, Chechen gangsters can loot and smuggle all they want as long as they pay Kadarov, their gangster-in-chief, his cut, and they don't disturb the Faustian pact with Putin. Their base of operations is, of course, Russia. And as I mentioned earlier, they capitalise on clout with other goons and real estate in Moscow. But the Chechen mafia doesn't end there. These days, Chechen gangsters aren't just powerful in Russia, but deep into Western Europe, particularly Germany. And that's not too surprising when you see how big the Italian gangsters are there too. There are some 150,000 Chechen expats living in the EU. Most are apolitical, of course, but some pro-Kadarov elements have grown pretty powerful, especially in Germany. A few years ago, after the assassination of that former Chechen rebel, Selim Khan Kangoshvili in Berlin's Moabit district, I tried working a piece on a guy named Timur Duguzaev, 
a member of the centre-right CDU, that's the German Tories, basically, a boxing promoter, and a zealous Kadarovite. But yeah, what can I say? The media industry doesn't respect a good story. Yeah, it's probably a good thing you're in New Zealand when you did this little series uh, instead of doing these episodes <laughs> from Berlin. Yeah, I was slightly worried about that one. Uh, this, like, he was pictured shaking Angela Merkel's hand as well. It's pretty fucking embarrassing. Anyway, Chechens have become a fixture of Berlin's clan crime, which we covered way back in like 2020 when we kicked this show off. In 2016, they detonate a car bomb in central Berlin, killing a drug dealer. According to a 2019 Der Spiegel report, German justice officials become increasingly worried about something they call the, quote, North Caucasus organized crime structure. Sorry, a lot of this might be wordy because I'm translating from the original, but it's basically the Chechen Mafia. It's focused on a biker gang-like group called Regime 95, which has members all over the north and east of Germany, which is the Germans' way of saying former East Germany and Hamburg. In fact, as the Berliner Zeitung reports in 2020, Chechen and Arab clans have been fighting each other on the streets, escalating a gang war over the city's lucrative drug scene. That year, a conflict is sparked by a fight outside of Speti, that's a corner shop or a bodega, where members of the prominent Remor clan fought Chechens with fists, knives, and, what else, hooker pipes, on a street just down from where I actually used to live in the district of Nikon. Writes the bit, said, quote, Police reportedly feel that Chechen criminals no longer act as henchmen for the criminal drug gangs, but has now built up their own criminal structures. Many gang members have combat experience from the two Chechen wars. They have also been known to be quick to take up firearms. The Polizei are terrified of these guys. They're blowing cars up. In 2018, police linked Chechen gangsters in Berlin to the financing of Islamist terror. In 2021, cops carry out raids on 20 properties a year into this turf war between the Remors and the Chechens. It's all pretty nuts. Writes the Konrad Adenauer Stiftung in December last year, quote, the tendency towards isolation that can be observed in parts of the Chechen communities is a growing challenge. The driving factor of this development is the survival strategy preserved in some of these communities as a result of a series of collective experiences of persecution. It continues, In the face of the growing isolation of significant parts of the Chechen communities in Germany, the rise of Salafist actors and Kadarov's violent diaspora policy, both security policy and integration policy countermeasures, are necessary. I am... Terribly sorry for the translation of that horrible Denglish. <laughs> anyway, in 2020, riots break out in the French city of Dijon. Yeah, that's the mustard place. Where Chechen gangsters issue a social media, quote, call for vengeance after an assault on a 16-year-old Chechen kid. They publish videos of armed hooded men and promise to settle scores with rival mobsters. God, European police are just useless, huh? Uh, yep. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> The French, the French don't actually do any police work, and then, actually, in this case, it's the same. They send military police in to quell the unrest, so it's either nothing or uh, batons and shields. But many point the finger directly at Kadyrov, who's keen to stir trouble in anywhere that's turning against Moscow and Putin. Similar to the way the Chechens use their gang ties to smuggle weapons and soldiers in during the wars against Russia, Kadyrov now appears to use Chechens to scare the shit out of the EU. So discord and make sure nobody topples him at home. 
There's this interesting op-ed in Al Jazeera by Harold Chambers recently, and it said that even if Kadyrov dies, which has been predicted and even reported in recent months, nothing is going to really change. Not only has his eldest son, named what else, Ahmad, recently gone to meet Putin in what most believes is a symbolic clearing of the stage for his own accession, but, writes Chambers, while there is indeed a lot of personalisation of power in Chechnya, he alone does not represent the entirety of the regime. He sits atop the regime hierarchy, but he's not solely responsible for its function. There are a number of powerful men who manage various aspects of government. Chambers notes that the regime has grown increasingly repressive, even by Kadyrov's lofty standards. In September last year, after Moscow announced partial mobilisation in Ukraine, Chechen women protested in Grozny. Then they were rounded up, beaten and frog-marched to the city's mayor's office and their male relatives were shipped out forcibly to the front lines. Last December, a fight between two Chechen officials was followed by a large-scale security campaign which detained any residents who'd seen and recorded the incident. Kadyrov can wield the threat of conscription to Ukraine against anybody who defies him and others have been exiled, tortured or summarily executed. I guess this would be why they're not really renowned in Ukraine. Apparently some weapons caches from the war still exist out in the Chechen woods and mountains, but Kadyrov's regime has cracked down on weapons possession and gunsmiths. So you want good news? I guess you've got to go somewhere else. But that is Ramzan Kadyrov for you. And there is the history of Chechen crime from ancient abreks to modern murderers. You're here for the blood and misery, aren't you guys? Gluck and Jalazites. Yeah, I mean, that was just an incredible series you've done, man. Three episodes right there. Something else. Amazing research, great writing. Way better stuff than stuff you hear from people who like have a team of 10 or 15. <laughs> I don't even know. But uh, yeah, uh, I feel like I know a lot about Chechnya after the last three episodes of this. And yeah, um, too much. you should too go out there and pretend you're an expert. You know, get involved on other people's uh, social media. Just, you know everything now. So don't don't hesitate to, to speak your mind with like 100% conviction. Even if it's some professor who studies this stuff, who cares? Sean did three episodes on this, and if you listen, if you listen to all of them, you know more than anyone else. Right now, um, <laughs> what else? Patreon.com, the Underworld Podcast, iTunes subscriptions, YouTube, TikTok, yeah, Netflix. I don't even know. Do you think Netflix it actually game. matters? Like saying this stuff Nap, over and over and over. Do you think like somebody no, probably not. maybe has has heard like eight <laughs> episodes, but like they're like it like finally clicks after I say it for like the third time. I feel like you got to do it once an episode, but do you think if like, is there any, any, I guess repetition, right? supposed to be a thing in advertising. I don't know, man. Um, Who knows? All right, guys. We'll, uh, We'll see you next week. If you know the answer to these questions, please let us know. Have you made the switch to NYX? Millions of women have made the switch to the revolutionary period underwear from NYX. That's K-N-I-X. Period panties from NYX are like no other, making them the number one leak-proof underwear brand in North America. They're comfy, stylish, and absorbent, perfect for period protection from your lightest to your heaviest days. They look, feel, and machine wash just like regular underwear, but feature incognito protection that has you covered. You can shop sizes from extra small to 4XL. 
Choose from all kinds of colors, prints, and different styles, from bikinis to boy shorts, thongs to high-rise. You've got to try NYX. See why millions are ditching disposable, wasteful period products and have switched to NYX. Go to knix.com and get 15% off with promo code TRY15. That's nix.com promo code TRY15 for 15% off life-changing period underwear. That's knix.com.